This episode brought to you by Cafe Imports, Minneapolis-based importers of fine specialty green coffees, independently owned and operated since 1993. Cafe Imports has been dedicated to decreasing its impact on the earth through renewable energy, carbon neutrality, and by supporting conservational efforts in places where quality coffee is grown and also where quality coffee is consumed. Where does your coffee come from? And by the National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation. As a nonprofit, we rely on support from listeners like you. If you like what you hear, please consider a donation. To learn more and make a gift, visit us at www.gosuperior.org. Welcome to the Lake Superior Podcast. I'm Walt Lindela. And I'm Frida Wara. We are made stronger by story, and there's no better source than the continent's largest body of fresh water, Lake Superior. So join us as we highlight the five national parks that ring this greatest of the Great Lakes, meet the people, tour the places, and learn about the projects that make these parks and body of water so remarkable. This podcast made possible with the support of the National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation and Media Brew Communications. I'm Walt Lindela. And I'm Frida Wara. Welcome once again to the Lake Superior Podcast. Today, Frida, we've got something very unique, but actually seems quite appropriate for where we're talking about (laughs) with the areas along the Lake Superior shoreline and such, which is uh, Dark Skies, Dark Sky Park. What what are we doing here today? Let me just go back for just a second, Walt, because, you know, I'm an old broad, long in the tooth. (laughs) So, you know, you want to go to bed at night. But you don't stay asleep. And I live right on the south shore of Lake Superior. So, mm-hmm. you know, when I get up to go to the bathroom, I got to look out the window. Of course. Because as beautiful as our days have been, our nights are amazing. The northern lights have been off the charts. And maybe it's just a lot more people are like me, maybe getting up in the middle of the night and going, holy smokes, will you look at that? Yeah. And then when we get a chance to see the dark sky, the night sky, truly in darkness without the light pollution of a metro area, it's really something special. And that's why we've got John joining us today, because I am so excited to know of all the developments that have happened up at the Keweenaw Mountain Lodge. And John Muller's here to share with us the excitement. Yep. John, uh, John Muller with the Keweenaw Mountain Lodge. John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Well, here's what we're talking about today. The Dark Sky Park or the International Dark Sky Park Program. You guys are in this up there at the Keweenaw Mountain Lodge. First of all, for people that are listening to the podcast that may not be exactly familiar with geographically where you are, could you start there and tell us a little bit about where you are and then how this all has worked together? Yeah, we're located at the top of the Keweenaw. It's near Copper Harbor, about a one mile away from the village. That village is the furthest village away from any interstate in the lower 48. So we are remote. It feels very similar to Alaska, but you are able to drive to it fairly easily from the Midwest. Uh, the, The peninsula is about 45 to 50 miles long. Surrounded by three bodies, uh, or three you know sides with water, Lake Superior, which actually adds to the uh, darkness that we have up here, and we were able to get the International Dark Sky designation as of June 21st last year, 2020. Uh, it took about a year, year and a half to go through that application process. We went through four different versions. And our goal was not to get the certification. Our goal was to understand dark skies better. 
because we understand that, you know, the darkness uh, mixed with the lightness really helps our circadian clock as people, you know, sleep patterns, a hormone release, mm-hmm. eating habits, digestion, body temperature, and then also improving ecological integrity with our plants, wildlife. And what we are focused on up here is to get people closer to nature year-round in dark skies, quietness, and clean air are part of that. What an irony, John, that you got the certification on summer solstice. So that's the longest day, the shortest night of the year. <laughs> Absolutely. Only four or five hours of darkness up here during that time in terms of pure darkness. So it is, is the irony for that piece there, but it's also a fun discussion point to understand things like the Northern Lights. They happen, you know, 24 hours a day. Uh, the question is, do they happen during darkness, and do they happen this far south where you can see them? Uh, four or five days ago, we had a nice blanket of Northern Lights, uh, which is really neat. So you mentioned that earlier in the, in the podcast. And, you know, being able to see them, you know, either at 10 o'clock at night or see them at 5 o'clock in the morning, you know, is really a, a beautiful thing. Uh, but even if they don't happen, you know, have the Milky Way, the Big Dipper, and lots of different things with the constellations that are clearly seen from here. Very little light pollution, very little light trespassing. That said, we still focus on our light management plan. Uh, basically, that's part of the designation is that we need to have, you know, 100% of our lights over a certain period of time be dark sky compliant. When we filed the application, we were above 90%. Uh, we still have a couple more lights that we want to work on, uh, namely a snow train park that we're working on. We need to make sure that those have dark sky compliant light fixtures. But we're between 90 95% compliant on that piece there and continue to get better to improve on, you know, the ability to see um, the, the darkness up here, which is kind of also ironic when you say that. Yeah, well, this is an interesting point that you're bringing up. You're talking about compliance. So there's obviously some standards. What are some of those standards, and, and who sets these? So the body that governs these uh, parks, there's a little over 200 of them worldwide, is the International Dark Sky Association out of Tucson. They just recently changed their name. Uh, to Dark Sky International, and so you'll see that change over, you know, happen over the next uh, 12 months in terms of the promotions and the media, but we know them as IDA. Um, that's how we uh, got to know them when we went through the application process, and so they set up the guidelines for what the Dark Sky Places program is, and part of those places is a Dark Sky Park. You have sanctuaries and communities as well, uh, but we're designated a Dark Sky Park, and so that means we need to make sure that we minimize our light pollution and then the light trespassing. Give an example of what we worked on during that year for that application is changing out, you know, 26 or 28 street lights on property, and we actually use you know, data to show how that changed the uh, the light that went across the fairway of hole number one, for example, we have webcams that you can see. We have all-sky cameras that you can see, too, so you can go on our website to see what the stars look like at any given time. And, you know, if the northern lights are going on, you can actually see that time-lapse. But what happens is with that light trespassing, light pollution, you know, rather than seeing the light from a street light next to cabin seven or eight go all the way to the middle part of hole number two, it barely hits you know, the rough of hole number one, but that's a couple hundred to 300 yards difference in just the light that is going past uh, that light fixture there. So the light structures need to, the fixtures need to be dark sky appliant, means fully shielded, need to be 
a certain Kelvin, a certain lumen. For us, it's 3,000 Kelvin or less, 3,000 lumens or less, um, and then be able to turn them on and off so they're not just on when no one's there. Uh, we got a grant um, recently to do um, the uh, Wi-Fi connection with those streetlights. So basically we can dim them slowly overnight, um, and then we can also easily turn certain ones off with this uh, uh, schedule and our, our cell phone. Currently we have light switches on each one of these two. Uh, that was implemented earlier this year during the Upper Peninsula Dark Sky Festival that we hold each year during April in the International Dark Sky Week, which is also administered by the International Dark Sky Association and so forth. So uh, along with light pollution, there's also an outreach requirement. So that means, you know, educating people on what the benefits are uh, for dark skies and what light pollution, light trust testing does for our existence as humans, but also the existence of wildlife and, and plants. So we hold monthly workshops for photo workshops, um, I should say, photo photography, uh, astrophotography. Uh, those are for northern lights, and those are for night sky pieces there. We do light management workshops to educate the community about these light fixtures that you can purchase, uh, the Kelvins and how that plays into it with the soft you know, um, brightness, as well as the number of lumens there. So it's decreasing the light pollution as well as increasing the knowledge of people, um, uh, uh, the education of people in regards to their um, uh, life, what they can do themselves to uh, you know, decrease their own uh, light pollution in their neighborhoods. This is just fascinating because for the most part, I think darkness has been a little bit of a fearful thing for folks. I mean, I'm thinking about the Keweenaw Mountain Lodge. It is so beautiful and so historic. And for those visitors that come, they realize they're out in their own little cabin with a couple of stairs. And when you walk off that porch, you might not be the only person walking around there at night. Do any of your guests have a little bit of a queasy feeling about saying, I don't want to run into, you know, you know, get the bear out there or, or whoever else. Well, there is a nickname bear up here. It is Yogi the Bear, so that, that would be interesting if you did run into him. I knew it. Yep, um, he always hung around up there at Fanny Ho, too, didn't he? I love it. But, yeah, you, you probably have people that are, now that you're getting the word out about this, that are coming just for this experience. Don't don't You must be getting that because you are getting the word out uh, quite effectively. Yes. So, you know, if you look at the last two years, of the clientele that we have in the cabins, uh, you're seeing people that uh, fall into a target market that we uh, have uh, focused on, which is people that value the history of the lodge and want to see it move forward, outdoor enthusiasts and culinary enthusiasts. And so part of the dark skies is that outdoor enthusiast piece to get closer to nature. And so we're seeing people specifically calling about, hey, when's the lights out program going to be, which is three to seven days each month, we turn off all those street lights, mm-hmm. and it gets dark. Mm-hmm. And so, um, if you're driving in from Detroit, you know, 11 hours, Chicago, eight hours, you know, Twin Cities, seven hours, you know, and you get here and you're going through US 41, you get through Houghton, Hancock, and then you got 45 more miles to get up here. And the last 20 miles are going to be dark. There's no street lights on US 41. Right. And so, you pull in, we do basically only keep the, the sign light on and then two barn lights on and the poles. And then what happens is it, it's, it's dark. And so we send out emails to those people 
say basically, hey, <laughs> yeah. let you know when you drive up here, it will be dark. And, and that's been very effective to, to explain to people. But when they're already coming up here for the darkness, they're jumping for joy, you know, when they see that piece there. Sure. But we do a lot of education, a lot of information, um, sending, that, sending out information prior to their stay to help um, them adjust coming from, you know, a place like, you know, downtown Detroit where it's really, you know, a lot of light or Chicago and so forth. They are even just in the suburbs, you know, where there's lots of street lights that, um, you know, don't allow you to look up and see the Big Dipper easily. Talking with John Muller today, he is with the Keweenaw Mountain Lodge. We're talking about their dark sky park that they have uh, at the lodge. Uh, John, I have to, I'm hearing uh, some real passion here that you really are are liking this and into it. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got to the lodge, how you got to the Keweenaw, how this has kind of unfolded for you? So uh, I'm a professor um, by background. I was teaching at Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo. Our son graduated from Lloyd Norex there, and then he spent you know the summers during his high school years going to different college campuses. I felt that you know I feel that fit is a big piece. There's lots of great universities out there, mm-hmm. uh, but really what makes the difference is how someone fits into a university with the professors and the environment. So he, you know he went to Michigan State, University of Michigan, Western Michigan, and so forth, and also Michigan Tech, which is up here in the Houghton area, about 45 miles from the lodge. And he fell in love, you know, with the wilderness up here. And so Martin is his name, and, you know, he studied mechanical engineering. He graduated two Aprils ago. He now works here at the Lodge. Uh, but he's the one that got us into this area, started investing in buildings in Calumet, which is a wonderful town. You know, being able to, you know, revitalize that piece is really neat on 5th Street and 6th Street, and mm-hmm. where the Keweenaw National Historic Park is based out of, uh, which is lots of character up here because of that in the Copper Country and in the history in the 1800s. So our son was the one that got us up here. And now he works in the business. My wife is the chef. Our daughter was here for the summer. She just left to go back to her second year in marine biology, University of Oregon. Um, but basically, you know, he was the one that gave, gave us the, the seed to, to really, you know, um, enjoy the Keweenaw. I threw my hat in um, to the auction in 2018 when the Mountain Lodge was up for sale. They tried county, uh, tried to sell it, um, you know, for a year in 2017 and wasn't able to do it. So they auctioned it off. Um, I was not the high bidder of the um, lodge. Second high bidder, the high bidder called me a couple of days later and said, hey, you know, do you want to take over my position? And this was back in August of 2018. We negotiated and, and you know, 30 days later um, was able to um, you know, sign the deed from the county. County owned the lodge. 1934 until 2018, so 84 years. Uh, we've been now uh, finished our fifth year anniversary. You know where the lodge is now privately owned and privately operated. Mm-hmm. That's the first time that's happened both there. And so we've done a lot of deferred maintenance. You know, worked on that. Uh, we believe in in what this place is in regards to the character. In the 1930s, when it was built, it was basically to help alleviate unemployment. You know, the WPA. Here, a project that started the CWA project, and that project ran out of funds and then finished up with the WPA project. And you have a very similar feel to a national park because of the architecture that, that was um, right. done back in those days for right. these type of projects. It's uh, quite a quite a journey you've oh got there to get you here. Oh, my goodness gracious, but- yes. 
I'm thinking about that. And you know what? I can't help but what's so exciting to me, John, is that you're open year-round now, correct? We are, yeah. So the first two winters, 18 and 19, 1920, we tested internally ourselves to see if, you know, the water system would handle things, to see if the uh, heat would, you know, go forth in the cabins. And so we're now finishing up. We finished up three winters, and now we'll be going into our fourth winter. You know, this place, you know, I feel is really about year-round activities. And, you know, you have, you know, golf, and you have mountain biking, you have stargazing and so forth here, you know, during the summer and the fall. And that's where I was earlier, you know, um, Frida was on the golf course mowing grass, and so I tell people now, since I'm no longer professors, I, you know, I don't teach and in research. Uh, I basically grow grass during the summertime and harvest snow during the wintertime. Bless so, you. Uh, we want snow. Yes. <laughs> well, yes. That brings up a good question, John. So, when it comes to the dark sky. I, I remember, I think I shared that I went to the South Pole and there was an amazing telescope that they had at the South Pole. And the reason it was so valuable for looking into the the heavens was because there was no heat pollution or, or heat waves or whatever that would distort the image. How does winter affect stargazing? So we tell people that winter is a better time to see the stars because there's less humidity. Humidity will make things look fuzzy in the air, and so it ends up being where there's snow on the ground. uh, You're able to basically trap that humidity, and and especially when Lake Superior freezes over, (laughs) you've got that humidity trapped, and so you have crisp air, and, you, you know, between basically October and April, you have, you know, more darkness as well in terms of the number of hours that you see the night. And so, you know, it's just clear because of, you know, uh, the, the less um, of that humidity that causes the fuzziness uh, with your seeing. And, you know, there's yeah. no bugs. No bugs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or at least, you know, the snow fleas are not going to bother you when you're stargazing, right? Oh, my God. And, and, of course, lots of folks might not know about snow fleas. That's a whole other subject. But uh, how you, you warn your visitors from the cities that are coming that it's going to be dark. And so they're probably picking up a headlamp or a flashlight or something just to get them to their cabins. How do you warn them about the bugs? The bugs. <laughs> the bu- <laughs> oh, man. We get people closer to nature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're court low. They're giving That's, to nature, aren't they? I love it. I, I like oh, that. God. We're getting people closer to nature oh. with that. Talking with John Muller here today on the uh, podcast. He's with the Keweenaw Mountain Lodge talking about the dark sky park that they have there. Uh, you touched on it a little bit, John, but uh, you said you have some events and you do some things uh, during the course of the year that are more special events. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we do workshops monthly, uh, those photo workshops in terms of the northern lights and the dark skies. We do light management workshops. And then we also um, have annually the Upper Peninsula Dark Sky Festival now that we host in April during the International Dark Sky Week. And so we bring in, you know, speakers to talk about, you know, how they, you know, search for known lights, how they, you know, take pictures, you know, at night and, and so forth there. And, and, you know, those are the type of things that, are easy to do, you know, for us. And then mm-hmm. during the winter time, we do uh, snowshoe moonlit hikes or moonlit snowshoe hikes oh, on that oh, piece man. there. So the photo workshops happen during the new moon, so there's no moon out. And then the uh, snowshoe hikes happen when there's a full moon out. And so we do about 20 people. You know, we, we basically do, you know, 
optimal numbers here at the lodge, not maximum numbers like the Upper Peninsula Dark Sky Festival, you know, maximum 50 people. Um, with the snowshoe hikes, 20 people on that piece there. And so you go out on one of our snowshoe trails. We have 10 kilometers of trails that we do. And we have 10 kilometers of cross-country ski trails as well. But, you know, ends up being to where, you know, that's just a beautiful thing to go out and, and don't need a flashlight because the snow is reflective and the right. moon is out there as well. And so that's pretty neat, you know, with that. Um, but, you know, education about, you know, red lights, not white lights for the flashlights, that's important. It takes about 45 minutes for your eyes to adjust from coming from white lights to darkness. Um, the optometrist will tell you that piece there. Uh, and so, you know, ed- those educational uh, workshops and pamphlets that we send out or not send out but have out here to educate people is really neat. On our website, you know, we're, we're talking about when the Northern Lights possibility are, are showing. We have uh, posters all around here that talk about, you know, you know, we put them out with, you know, there's a high probability of Northern Lights to be seen or lights out, you know, on that. So we send out the information, you know, via email, but often they come and they check in a big poster saying it's going to be dark yeah exactly <laughs> yeah well I, I i want to ask you about this now uh and and when you're talking to somebody that's coming from uh chicago detroit any of the major metro anywhere that you're going to have all the lights that we're talking about the light pollution the light trespassing which is an interesting concept to mm. me the idea of light trespassing but when you said snowshoe hike, right, and you mentioned going out there in the wintertime and going out and, and, and that, Frida and I both had a response to that. That is, we know what that's like. But how do you tell somebody that's coming from Chicago or Detroit or anywhere about what these experiences are really going to be like? How do you describe the experience of having this dark sky moment to do this kind of stargazing? You know, we haven't had do a lot of explain of that. Um, and I'm not exactly sure why. I mean, hmm. people come up, and we, well, I guess one of the things is our philosophy at the Lodge is we don't try to sell. We provide information, and then you can self-select in and okay. self-select out on that piece there. So the people that are self-selecting in, you know, is the higher majority of our clientele, and we haven't had to explain that to them because they're already coming up with the, you know, mindset sure. okay. that, it's going to be dark. So, um, you know, explain that to someone who doesn't have the mindset would definitely be a long conversation. Yeah. Um, because we'll have things with the IDA advocates group and, you know, they're trying to explain to people in, in downtown Washington, DC, for example, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, you know, glare from light actually causes more you know, you can't see as much when there's that glare versus if you turn that light off and you can see through the darkness on that. And, and there's certain um, uh, slide decks that they're showing now to help explain that. So, you know, in, in those type of meetings, it takes a before and an after on that. And so we do show that in our application to people in our stargazing page. So you see what it would look like if there were lights on. And then what it looked like lights off. We have webcams that show people what the lights look, at, you know, at any given time. Just like the amount of snow that we have at mm-hmm. any given time. That's always fun to watch how that parking lot <laughs> gets smaller and smaller and smaller over time uh, with it. So when you're snow plowing and blowing snow. But, I mean, you know, basically, you know, at the end of the day, when we, when we need to explain to somebody, we just say, you are just being. 
Mm. You're not being critical of things. You're not sitting there worrying about things. You're, you're detoxed from technology, which takes about 24 hours um, to detox from technology when you're coming from, you know, being on your phone all the time right. and so forth. And so, you know, if you're just being, it's what the darkness is about and what we're about in terms of getting people closer to nature. John Muller with us here today with the Keweenaw Mountain Lodge, and we're talking about the Dark Sky Park that they have in the at the Keweenaw Peninsula nearby Copper Harbor. Uh, John, you mentioned webcams. You mentioned all this. What is the website for people to go look for to find out a little bit more about what you have for them for in- information and, and the possibility of experiencing this? Yeah, you'll have two different websites. One is the lodge website, which is QAnamountainLodge.com, and that's where you'll be able to see the webcams. There's an icon on the right-hand side of the page there to quickly go see what the lodge looks like, you know, where I'm talking from right now, as well as hole number one in Brockway. Um, and then you can go to QAnamountainLodge.com as well to get more specific information about the dark sky activities and so forth that the lodge is the headquarters of. So the lodge is the headquarters of Dark Sky Park, but we really get people to be all around the uh, the Keweenaw. We have 560 acres as part of the dark sky, but you have 32,000 acres around us that was bought by the Nature Conservancy. So that's, you know, our east, south, and west borders, by the way, now uh, are insured to have wilderness around us, which helps with that, you know, um, dark sky piece. But if you go to QAnomountainLodge.com or QAnomDarkSky.com, uh, you'll see that information online. And I just want to share, John, a little bit, because you are a full lodge. You are serving meals. But that's also pretty interesting because you'll make the lodge quiet and dark at 6 o'clock. And that means you're serving a little bit different style than if people think they're just going to come into a regular restaurant. Just share with us a little bit about that, especially with your wife as the chef. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so so we, you know, about a year and a half ago, uh, we basically decided to focus full-time on private dinners. Uh, the, mm. the Nowhere else in the world can you get a WP Air Lodge to yourself in regards to we do a maximum, a maximum of 12 people each night for dinner in the great, the, the tasting post um, in the great room uh, in the lodge. And so, um, we decided to you know keep things quiet at night. We closed the lodge building down at six o'clock each night. At six thirty, um, the advance reservations two or three weeks in advance. Uh, Chef, we basically will allow those people in, and then she will basically make the food. Uh, she will serve the food, and then she'll educate you on the food because uh, outdoor activities, rustic, really food, and education is what we're about. So when you leave the lodge, you're more knowledgeable than before you came. And so uh, we post those menus online. They change each week. And so it has a, uh, a theme um, from different parts of the world. So you have three different entrees, four-course meal. Um, and so it's something that really is special. Uh, we found that out when we started doing that. Uh, we did it to, as a test in uh, 2021. And then uh, we basically got you know wonderful reviews and feedback on that, had great discussions with people. And then in June of last year, we decided to go full-time to that piece there. We still have a little cab cafe that we have open 8 to 5. We have breakfast burritos in the morning. Uh, we do lattes, espressos, cappuccinos. We do our house-made gelato as well and sorbets. So you can have avogados in the morning, and then you have gelato sorbet piece there, all made from scratch, uh, which is really neat on that. And so, um, you know, in the afternoon, 
you know, it's one to two food items each afternoon based on what the chef is making. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're a big believer of um, minimizing our food waste. A lot of restaurants, on average, you know, throw out 30 to 33% of their food each night. That's one-third. So if you, if you think about, okay, you have three oranges, you're throwing away one of them, you know, each time you're, you're going through those three. And so we do freshly squeezed oranges. And so that's like, wow, well, there's no way we could do that. I mean, so, you know, we really concentrate on that piece there. And, um, you know, it just makes us feel better. I mean, it's wholesome food. Um, and it's something that's very unique that uh, is in the Keweenaw, uh, which you wouldn't expect. I love it. Doing the best for the planet. And yeah. there is no better place to truly feel the wild and the the woods and the waters of the Keweenaw Peninsula. I can't imagine anyone that's going to leave and not feel like they've just done everything they could for themselves and whoever their travel partners are. The educational component of what you're doing at the lodge there, John, is very uh, interesting. And it, it, I like that because you're giving them an experience, but you're teaching them. They may come back if they can. They may, you know, maybe a once in a lifetime thing for them. But I do like the fact that you're going with that sort of educational component of not just the sky, not just with the location, but all about it. That That's a big deal for you, isn't it? It is, and, and a lot of that you know, pertains to, you know, my background as professor. Sure. Uh, you know, and, and you know what I learned about myself is that you know, I stick around if I'm having fun and learning. If mm-hmm. I if I'm not having fun or I'm not learning, I tend to move on to something else. And so, I really feel that you know people, you know, they learn a lot more when they're having fun, and when they learn, they become better people in in the world. And so, you know, people challenge themselves these days and. You know, you, you could buy, you know, a hotel here, a hotel there. Uh, but what happens is if you have an historic place like this with a lot of character and you're teaching them about the history of the place, you're teaching them about the history of the golf course, we're a wilderness golf course, we're not a golf course in the wilderness, which means a big difference. How you're working with the Audubon Society to be a sanctuary golf course, Audubon Society with the Green Lodging, you know, it really is a component to where you sit there and you explain to people how you're doing something, why you're doing something. And I think, you know, people just value that a lot more and they respect that a lot more. It's like, you know, if you open up the kitchen, you know, we, we provide our recipes online. And so, you know, when you open it up and, and basically, you know, someone just says, you know, hey, I, I can see how it's made. I can see what ingredients are putting into this or where you buy it. You know, I think that's where the world is going to. And that pertains to education. Well, we certainly appreciate your time today, John, talking about it. John Muller is our guest on the podcast with the Keweenaw Mountain Lodge up in the Keweenaw Peninsula on the shores of Lake Superior. Uh, before we cut you loose one more time, if you would give us the website so people can look into this, because if they can make this happen, I think it's a wonderful experience to have. How did they find out more? You can go to KeweenawMountainLodge.com to find out more about the lodge and be in the headquarters of the Keweenaw Dark Sky Park. And you can go to QAndarksky.com directly to get right to the QAndarksky Park website. John, we appreciate your time today. This has been a fascinating conversation, especially for me coming oh. from the Keweenaw Peninsula and being born and raised up there. I have an inkling about what this is like, but really, it is not even like that for me. Where having grown up on Portage Lake in near Chassel, it's can be very dark and very quiet, but it's nothing like I'm sure what you have up there. Thanks for telling us about it. Thank you for having me.
That's John Muller with the Keweenaw Mountain Lodge and talking about the Dark Sky Park there and a lot more, even just that way. It's a great way to experience, Frida. We talk about Lake Superior. We talk about Lake Superior shorelines, the parks and everything. You know, this is right through the heart of the, the Keweenaw National Historical Park there and the Calumet and all of that Calumet area and and. This would really be for someone that might be looking into some sort of experience like this. Just a great option to look into to come and do it. Day and night, there's something to do. Yeah. And something, I think, as John explained too, you're going to leave not only with some great memories, but hopefully with a whole new just a, a realization or appreciation mm-hmm. for what this planet's all about. And I'm not kidding when I said to someone that grew up in the Keweenaw Peninsula, I'm familiar with the whole area that he's talking about. In fact, I know I've been at the lodge when I was but a youth, you know, a little a little <laughs> kid you now with the Lindalas going up there. Um, but this was really just a great way to learn a little bit more about it. And we encourage you, if you're listening here today, just to give it a try, look into it and look into the experiences that Lake Superior can give you. I mean, that's I, this is really just a great way of saying that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. next April, when they have the whole dark sky project, mm-hmm. that should be really special. We'll need to learn a little bit more about that time and who's coming to speak. Absolutely. Because we all want to know, when are the Northern Lights? They're kind of elusive. You just don't know. you got to <laughs> yeah, keep you getting up in the middle of the night to go set, to the bathroom. You can't set the calendar for them, I'll <laughs> yeah. tell you that. You can't set That's the clock right. by them. But uh, we certainly appreciate John's time today, and we appreciate you hanging out and listening to the podcast. If you've got an idea, maybe, for something for Frida and I to talk about, you can find us through the uh, National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation website, Get us the information or however you're linking into this podcast. Let us know if there's something you'd like to have us talk about. I think that's pretty much going to do it for us. I'm Walt Lindela. I'm Frida Wara. Thanks for listening. The National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation, NPLSF, is the only official nonprofit 501c3 fundraising partner of the National Park Service for all five U.S. National Park sites on Lake Superior. To learn more about NPLSF projects and programs, you can visit the website at nplsf.org or friend them on Facebook. I'm Frida Wara. And I'm Walt Lindela. Thanks for listening to the Lake Superior Podcast. This podcast made possible with the support of the National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation and Media Brew Communications. This episode brought to you by Cafe Imports, Minneapolis-based importers of fine specialty green coffees, independently owned and operated since 1993. Cafe Imports has been dedicated to decreasing its impact on the earth through renewable energy, carbon neutrality, and by supporting conservational efforts in places where quality coffee is grown and also where quality coffee is consumed. Where does your coffee come from? And by the National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation. As a nonprofit, we rely on support from listeners like you. If you like what you hear, please consider a donation. To learn more and make a gift, visit us at www.gosuperior.org.